Toki. Look inside of your basket. Guess what? You are in such a crappy mood. You have ladies' tampons. Go have a conversation with all the ladies and tell them your problems. You ladies, Squiscar. No, it's not! Hello and welcome back to The Expressionists. I'm Helen Rydstrand. And I'm Olivia Rosenman. Today, we ladies are going to talk about our lady problems. That's right. This episode, we will be going with the bodily functions flow that we started in our last episode by chatting about two idioms describing menstruation. Before we get into that, though, a couple of thank yous to our latest patrons, Tom Karma and Charlie Hewitt. Thank you both so much. If you would like to support the show too, or just get a shout out like this, you can. Look for the link to our Patreon page on our website, expressionists.audio. Thanks, guys. And before we get any further, I have a correction for episode 11 on horsing around. I claimed that On the Nose was an example of the rhetorical figure of metonymy, but my little bro Kim happily pointed out that this is actually best described as synecdoche, a figure of speech in which a part is made to represent the whole or vice versa, for example, Canberra for the Australian government. Metonymy is similar, but is the substitution of the name of an attribute for that of the thing meant. For example, suit for a businessman or woman. It's a subtle difference, but worth mentioning. Schooled by a little brother, Helen. <laughs> oh, nice one. Okay, back to periods. Those who listened to our Potty Mouths episode and our bonus extra with another story from our guest, We Can't Wait's Mark Baller, might see how he got here. Although we have been thinking about it for a while. Mark's stories, though, made it clear how taboo menstruation is still in most parts of the world, including our own, to be honest. Yeah, totally. For example, the fact that an ad for pads using actual red blood-looking stuff instead of that weird thin blue liquid was news in October 2017. I always used to think that the blue stuff looked like window cleaner. Yeah, it's exactly Windex. You're right. Another great thing that I heard recently was an ABC podcast called Ladies We Need to Talk and they did a special episode on menstruation and all the taboos around it and they spoke to this woman named Kieran Gandhi about her experience getting her period just before a marathon and how she decided at that point that her best option was what she called radical free bleeding. Basically, she just realized that she didn't want to wear a pad, she didn't want to wear a tampon and so she just decided to run and bleed freely. Isn't it amazing that that was like shocking international controversial news? Like there were, you know, photos around the world. I remember it happening in 2015. And one of the things that she says about it is that she felt so amazing and powerful to like be able to run a marathon while bleeding. And because this was such a radical act to deliberately allow your menstrual blood to show, um, which is definitely something that I and I I imagine most women have spent a lot of energy avoiding throughout Mm -hmm. their lives. Fearing, in fact. Fearing, exactly, yeah. Including from your partner and like family and close friends. It's definitely something to be hidden. Have you watched that new show, Big Mouth, Olivia? I have not. So it's a pretty cool one. It's about uh, puberty. It's a little animation. It's on Netflix at the moment. And one of the early episodes deals pretty awesomely, I think, with the complex social experience of getting your period for the first time. So the main girl character in the show has her menarch, which is the first period, while she's wearing cute white shorts on a school excursion to the Statue of Liberty, just as horrifying a rite of passage as you can imagine. Yeah. Yeah. I don't like remember exactly where and where I was when I got my first period, but I do remember that I basically felt like I couldn't deal with it that month. I just waited till the next month before I like told my mom and. Uh, oh, wow. Yep. So what did you do about it? I think I just used some toilet paper. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Cause it's pretty light on the first go. Yep. I found. I remember where I was. I was not yet living in Sydney, 
with my dad and my stepmom, but I was visiting for the summer, staying with my stepmom. She was heavily pregnant. I got my period. I spent a good few hours like not talking or telling anyone about it um, until eventually she was like, what is wrong with you? Why, why are you acting like this? And I was like, ah. she was very excited though, which is nice. So it's not surprising that there's this shame around it, given the fact that the texts of all major religions say that women are unclean when they're menstruating. The misogyny attached to periods is there in classical philosophy too. So Aristotle thought that menstruation was a sign of the inadequacy of our bodies because his idea was that only the male body is hot enough to concoct blood into semen whereas we're just sappy like weak women just leech blood instead of pumping out semen i suppose what a theory it's a weird one parmenides and others apparently believed in contrast that women were actually the hotter sex since they clearly have more blood and blood is considered to be hot but aristotle diocles and empedocles all thought that all women menstruate at the same time of the month clearly never bothering to actually ask any women about that That's hilarious. And it just made me think of this essay by Gloria Steinem that she wrote in 1981 called If Men Could Menstruate. She uh, suggested it would be a subject for boasting, not for shame, that men would brag about the quantity and duration of their periods. (laughs) Sanitary napkins would be federally funded and distributed for free, and famous athletes would endorse prestige commercial brands. Similarly, there would be a rationale for male superiority based on periodic bleeding. If men had periods, it would be argued that women cannot excel in fields that require sensitivity to time or spatial relationships, such as maths, because they lack the inherent cyclical biological signs that attune one to such differences. Yes. I think this just hit the nail on the head there. There's a lot of um, weird myths in a lot of cultures about the bad effect of touching or being around menstruating women. Apparently our touch can turn wine into vinegar. It can make flowers wilt and it can even drive dogs mad. Have you heard any of these before? Never. I think I also read that it can make meat go off and all these kinds of things. It's bad news. Well, and there's also the one that I know is that you're not supposed to wash your hair when you have your period. Oh, yeah, otherwise it might go away and never come back. Oh, and I think I actually have heard that you shouldn't go swimming. Mom, can I go swimming with Peggy tomorrow after school? I don't think I would, Molly. But I'd be home by 5.30. No, it's not a good idea the first two or three days of your period. You might get chilled and catch cold. Oh, that's right. Peggy, of course I can't go swimming. You know I've got the curse. That is fantastic. I love it. So on the other hand, it's also long been connected to the awesome power of femininity. For example, the excellent Abbess Hildegard von Bingen, who was a medieval nun and writer and composer and all kinds of cool stuff. She wrote that leprosy, which she thought was caused by either lust or intemperance, as in, you know, drinking too much, could be cured by washing in the, quote, nourishing properties (laughs) of menstrual blood as much as he can get. Okay. (laughs) The thing that I really noticed about Yumi Stein's Ladies We Need to Talk episode on periods was how much of it focused on the issues around just talking about it. So often people avoid mentioning it at all, of course. And when they do, there are a lot of idioms and euphemisms to get around actually just saying period and menstruation and bleeding from my vagina. I might just list a few of them. Checking in to the Red Roof Inn, riding the cotton pony, Mother Nature's Gift, Red Wedding, Lady Business, Your Monthly Visitor, Code Red, Shark Week. That's my favourite, I think. Having the painters in. 
and the Red Baron. Okay, so I think everyone gets a picture, though, about the idioms. Uh, There's definitely enough for us to talk about this episode. Tell us which one you're going to go with this time. Helen, I've decided to go with On the Rag. Oh, yeah. I remember that one a lot in high school. Yeah, got my rags. Yeah, I'm on the rags. I've got my rags. The top definition for On the Rag in Urban Dictionary, written by a guy called Jake. When a woman is on the rag, that means she has her period. She's also likely to be in a bad mood because of the various discomforts associated with pads, leaks, tampons, washing out underwear, not being able to wear light-coloured skirts or pants, etc. <laughs> Thanks, Jake. Uh, very empathetic. Yeah. I mean, I've really got to hand it to Jake because I just don't think it would ever occur to me to go and write on a website about a bodily experience that I just didn't have. <laughs> Helen... Do you think that you would ever associate otters or rainbows with having a period? No, not usually. Why otters? So On The Rag has apparently been abbreviated to OTR, which has then inspired these other two ridiculous idiomatic phrases for periods, over the rainbow and otter season. (laughs) Bizarre. All right, so back to the rag itself, though. Where did that originate? Right, so the first recorded usage of describing a woman as on the rag is in 1967, but on the rag is a more modern variant of several other phrases involving rags that date much further back. I mean, and perhaps we should spell this out here for listeners who aren't quite following here. We're referring to pieces of cloth that women would put in their underwear to absorb their menstrual blood, rags of cloth. So, on the rag, as meaning a woman who has her period, emerges in the 60s, in the late 60s. I found the first recorded usage in 1967 in a book of current slang in the States. It was published by the University of South Dakota. So it's weird that should happen right at that time, which is precisely when women were having to use less and less rags and other reusable, washable materials, because that was right about the same time that self-adhesive disposable pads had been invented. Ironically, at that point, women were finally being liberated from literally sitting on rags, as many of them did up until that point. Yeah, incredible. So the first usage of rags being referred to in writing as things to absorb menstrual blood dates way back earlier than this usage of on the rag. To the 17th century, the first recorded usage I could find was in a book by a Church of England guy, kind of like a defense of the Church of England that was at that time under attack by Roman Catholic opponents. In that book, he writes, The prophet Ize pronounceth that all our righteousness is like the polluted and filthy rags of a menstruous woman. Uh Another example of just how far back the stigmatization of menstruation goes. So there's also another word for the things that you might use to absorb your period blood. Helen, have you ever heard this one? Jam rags? (laughs) Ugh. Why is that gross? No, I I haven't heard that before. And there's an excellent story as to the origin of why they were called jam rags, which is pretty ridiculous, but it's a great story. So can I tell it to you anyway, Helen? Yeah, go on. Okay, so the theory is that women in the Victorian era tried to fool the male members of their households into thinking that bloodstained cloths that were soaking in tubs in the kitchen were in fact just the leftover rags used in the making of jam and jellies. 
<laughs> Presumably men were too stupid to realise that you only made jam or jelly sort of once or twice a year. <laughs> While it's a great story, it can be pretty easily debunked by the fact that I could not find any usage examples from the Victorian era. And in fact, in the Victorian era, I found several examples of jam rag being used to mean something overcooked and then later something in rags or tatters or small pieces. So, Helen, if you permit, I'd also just like to tell you about the origin of the word rag really briefly. Okay. I mean, pretty briefly. Yeah. Okay. So, it comes from Scandinavian. There were various words in Old Icelandic and Norwegian and Old Swedish, like rog and rag, that meant tuft, shagginess, strip of fur or animal hair. Which is interesting because in the annals of menstrual product history, it has been recorded that at times wool has been used, as has grass, moss, papyrus, and sea sponges, which are apparently having a resurgence. I feel like I've heard about that as an awesome natural alternative. Okay, I think I'd try that. Yeah. It's just the problem is that the sea's so full of shit these days. Well, I think you don't just pick one up out of the sea and stick it in your knickers. Oh, okay. <laughs> you can just buy a sea sponge at the chemist. Okay. I'm pretty sure. Hasn't that been probably treated with nasty chemicals? Yeah, definitely. Um, so while we're talking about Helen, how would you feel if I just really quickly ran you through a heavily abridged history of menstrual gear? I just think it'd be interesting to see how they've evolved. <laughs> I mean, I think it's essential. Let's okay. do it. All right. The use of folded rags was recorded as early as the late 5th or early 4th century BCE mm-hmm. in one of the many Hippocratic texts. And then in the Suda's account of the life of the philosopher Hypatia, there is a story that she threw one at an unwanted suitor. So the Suda is just this large 10th century Byzantine encyclopedia of the ancient Mediterranean world. What an awesome lady. Yeah, I mean, I that's one way to send a message. Yeah. <laughs> right. So over the course of history, there are many different cloth pads that have been made to be washed and reused. But the first commercially disposable pads in the USA were made by Johnson & Johnson in 1896. So that's quite early. Yeah, that's surprisingly early. Yeah. But the problem was that because they couldn't advertise them, presumably because they offended uh, everyone's delicate sensibilities at the time, and the taboos were even stronger than they are today, they discontinued that line. Oh, they just didn't sell. That's a shame. So then in 1914, a Sears catalogue included a sanitary apron, (laughs) which is like this combination of a pad held in place with elastic sort of around your hips and literally an apron at the back. Oh, like to protect you from leakages. Yeah. So it goes under your skirt. Yeah. This apron. Yeah. (laughs) I mean, better to be safe than sorry, I suppose, but I can't imagine it would have been very comfortable. Now, tampons, or in fact, internal absorption, let's just say, has actually been around for longer than you might think. So people have been using internal methods for a long time, and as early as the 1920s and 30s were some of the first commercially marketed tampons, which is funny because I think I would have thought that tampons were a much more recent thing. Yeah, I guess so. Especially because there are some places in the world where it's actually still really hard to get tampons. You can see all these taboos um, in the packaging of one of the early brands in the US. It was called Fax, which I think is a good name. But basically the packaging reminded the potential buyer that a tampon does not interfere with urination, that it is actually a different whole, um, <laughs> which also makes me think of that great scene from Orange is the New Black. <laughs> totally. What the fuck is that? It's a beef on them. What? I'm tired of trying to pop a squat over them nasty-ass toilets. This rig is going to make it easy. Take this part, put it over my stuff, take this little tube part, put it in the toilet. Or, you know what I'm saying, right over it. 
I don't see why you need the funnel. Like, can't you just put the tube up in? Uh, no, because that's not where the pee comes out. <laughs> uh, yeah, I do. Out the big hole. Yeah. No, yeah, there's a different hole. For pee? Yeah. What? Uh-uh. You're crazy. <laughs> Um, But it also made very clear that tampons are appropriate for young or unmarried girls because there was, of course, this fear of breaking the hymen. Mm -hmm. So, yeah, it wasn't up until, as I mentioned earlier, the 70s that these self-adhesive, fully disposable pads were widely available. And up until then, people used either um, reusable or disposable pads that were held in place with these menstrual belts. I should say that most of my research here comes from an amazing website, mum.org, that's M-U-M.org, and it's the Museum of Menstruation, which is now a, a mostly an online thing, and there's amazing, amazing amounts of information on there, but it was set up by this guy called Harry Finley in Washington, who apparently for a while actually had a museum of these products that he collected over the years in his, like in his basement. What an amazing Yeah. And of course, now we've even moved on from the liberation of being able to use disposable adhesive pads and not have to worry with technical belts and all kinds of things that we have to wash and carry around. Um, There's a whole new wave of really great products like moon cups and absorbent undies that don't have a huge toll on the environment like a lot of these disposable products do. Helen, I will wrap it up, but I thought I would share a great clip with you. This is Lady Business. I'm Rebecca Whitehurst. And I'm Jenny Grace. Your news on the rag. Presented to you monthly for biological reasons. Tonight, why Gabby Douglas can't have it all. And so, yeah, I found that. Um, That was a web series from 2012, 2013 about a a feminist comedy news show. So it was kind of equal parts the newsroom and the Colbert Report is how they describe it. But it was kind of a mixture of the news show and then behind the scenes of the news show. So it was kind of like a mockumentary of the making of a satirical. It's a bit. Wow. Complicated. Yeah. Um, Pretty funny. So you recommend it? Uh, they only seem to make about two or three episodes and it didn't get up. So, yeah, no. Too radical. Yep. yep. So mine is a lot more uh, demure kind of euphemism. Olive, have you ever heard someone seriously say that their Aunt Flo or their Aunt Irma is visiting? Definitely heard Aunt Flo, never heard Aunt Irma. And Aunt Flo makes more sense to me because your period has a flow. Irma. Irma, why? Yeah. I mean, I had heard of it, but to be honest, I never really understood it until I did the research for this. And it's because I I could never remember the aunt's name for one thing, which, as you just mentioned, might have helped because flow, (laughs) flow, menstrual flow. Anyway, definitely no one I know ever really says it. It's a bit old-fashioned, I think. Yeah. Well, also because the name flow and Irma are both quite old-fashioned names. I mean, I think that's the point, right? It's your kind of annoying aunt that comes and sort of outstays her welcome. It's all a bit painful and unpleasant. So where does it come from then, Helen? Right. So here we come to the annoying part. I don't know. 
All right. Well, that's the end of the expressionist. <laughs> <laughs> no, I mean, I can't find an origin for it. It's like beyond all of those hilarious listicle articles about all of the ridiculous period idioms that are out there, there's this huge lacuna of investigation into this. Like no one seems to be interested in all of these amazing sayings that we have to talk about periods in like hilarious kind of way. Um so it's not in our usual go-to, the Oxford English Dictionary. It's not on any of the usual resources that we use. So I, you know, was at a loss for a little while. What did you do next? I just had to widen my net. So what I did was I looked at the word visit on its own. Um, and in the noun form, it does have an obsolete meaning of menstruation just on its own. So there are a couple of instances in a medical text from 1653 by a guy called Thomas Brugis called the Vardamicum or a companion for a surgeon. So the references in that book are about medicines that you can use for either treating heavy flow or for bringing on menstruation. So the first one suggests that felonium persicum is good against the overmuch flowing of women's natural visits. Felonium persicum just being Latin for Persian medicine. So that apparently would include like opium and a bunch of other kind of herbal and spices from the East. And the second one suggests that myrrh will procureth women's monthly visits. So that will bring on your period if you need it to come back. So I don't know if that's actually suggesting myrrh works as like something to to bring on an abortion. Do you know what I mean? Like if your period's gone, that could be the problem, baby. Right. So I went then to visit the verb, which has some earlier meanings that are mainly lost now. One that I thought was particularly interesting was meaning to inflict hurt, harm or punishment upon a person or to deal severely or hardly with them. So the earliest Oxford English Dictionary example for this is from 1382. So I think this makes possible sense as an origin for the sense of the idiom that we're talking about. That is a visit from Aunt Flo or Irma, because there is some Christian ideology around it being the curse of women, right? Thanks to our old mate, Eve. Uh, So my guess, and I have to stress that this is a guess, uh, because no one else has written about it that I could find, is that that sense of visiting being inflicting punishment stuck around, but that when visiting the verb generally became about actual people going to each other's houses, we got the naff character of Aunt Flo. I like it. I think this is a great theory, Helen. Thanks. Did you know that there's an exact equivalent in Chinese, Olivia? I actually didn't. Apparently, according to one source that I found in China, you might hear a girl say... What a daima, Lila. The daima yeah. is the colloquial term for a mother's sister. So you, it literally means my mother's sister came. Would you agree with that translation? Uh, yeah, yeah. Okay. Uh, so this apparently comes from a story, uh, says this source. According to Chinese folklore, it comes from a love story in which a beautiful orphan girl goes to live with her aunt and then she falls in love with a scholar. And during this time, men and women couldn't even kiss before marriage. And he definitely wanted to hang out with her, but she was always at home helping her aunt. So in the end, they came up with a plan where they'd spend some time together secretly and listen for the aunt's footsteps. When she heard that the aunt was coming, someone would say... My mother's sister is coming. Finally, the scholar couldn't stand it and they arranged for a matchmaker to get them together. But on the day of the marriage, they were unlucky because she had her period. From embarrassment of telling him the situation, she said, uh, letting him know that it wasn't a convenient time to consummate and he worked it out what she meant. So from then on, these aunties were referred to as periods. 
It's uh, not unusual that Chinese sayings have long and involved stories behind them. It's Helen. a nice one. It's a, you know, it's a romantic story behind it rather than the version that uh, we just talked about. It, of course, though, does embody yet again the taboo around period that they weren't able to have sex when True. she had a period. Anyway, what about more recently? Well, so I came across this online service called uh, HelloFlow, uh, which is a reminder service uh, that your periods do, but they also deliver products to you when you need them. So like you get, a, I guess, an alert on your phone and also like pads arrive at your house right on time. But they've produced this series of ads where Aunt Flo is an awesome aunt-like woman in a snazzy red suit. Oh, cool. She's not usually this late. What's going on? I don't know. I don't know. Could you just stop? You're freaking me out. When was she supposed to get here? Six days ago. Six days ago? Is that bad? Well, it's not good, Tom. It's bad, isn't it? Kind of. Well, how did this even happen? Seriously? Oh, is this a bad time? And flow. Oh, thank God. Leak week, shark week, <laughs> sprung a leak. Ask her the why. Call it what I love that. Yeah, it's really cute. And there's a bit with a woman who's finishing her periods for life. Menopause. Yeah, they're saying goodbye. Oh. <laughs> All right, Helen. Well, I think it's that time of the episode now. <laughs> Uh, where we wrap things up and go and have a Bloody Mary. For sure. I think that's a great plan. Now, don't forget, you can support us on Patreon. But if your finances are looking a little bit more like a crimson tide than being in the black, you can also support the show by telling your friends about it or by leaving us a review in whichever podcasting app you use. And did you know we're now available for home visits? That's right. Just tell Google to put us on and we'll be there in seconds. And if you've got something to say about anything in this episode or anything else idiom related, let us know. Drop us a line on Facebook or Twitter or better still, send us a voice memo. That might sound hard, but it's not. Just get your red badge of courage on, find the voice memo app, record yourself speaking and send the file to xpodcasters at gmail.com. That's expodcasters at gmail.com. That's it for us. Thanks for listening and we'll catch you next time on The Expressionists. See you later.